Today we're going we're gonna to review the Old Testament. And if you've been with Ohana Church long enough, we know that the Old Testament points us to Jesus. The Old Testament is there in order that we might see Jesus clear. So, as we remember that, you can stand as we read God's Word together this morning. We believe this is 100% truth, and so in reverence we stand. So in verse 9 it says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. You may be seated. Lord, may you use this text this morning. Lord, may we gain truth from your word this morning, Lord, as we study these two key doctrines of Christian the Christian religion, Lord. May you, may you prick our hearts, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. So this morning we're going to cover the two, uh, two key doctrines that we see in this, this passage of Scripture. It's a short three-verse passage, but we see two foundational truths of the Christian religion. But be, before we get there, I want to... I want us to give a, I want to give a biblical truth that we must understand. Good doctrine always points us to a better love relationship with Jesus. So be, be, before we even dive into these truths of Scripture, we must understand the end game of these truths. These truths are not to build us up or to puff us up. Ohana Church doesn't want to give, make you the best theologian on the island. It would be good if you were, but... That's not our end goal. We want you to fall in love with Jesus more every day. So before we dive into this, that's, I want to make that clear. So the first truth we see is baptism. That's what this passage is all about. It's about the baptism of Jesus. Um, OC, the statement of beliefs that we cover in the next steps, or if you've been with us long enough and heard baptism sermons, this is our statement of belief on baptism. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has committed two ordinances to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that the only proper mode of Christian baptism is by immersion of the believer into water. Baptism does not save the individual, but is necessary for obedience and is a picture of the believer's union with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. That's some good stuff right there. There is some solid foundational truths for us in that. There's, there's another one I found that I also really like. This is from Bethlehem Baptist Church. We actually adopted some of their sayings for us because we don't reinvent the wheel. This is what they said. We believe that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord which those who have repented and come to faith express union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God, the true Israel, an embodiment of burial and cleansing, signifying death to the old life of unbelief and purification from the pollution of sin. That's wordy. That's why I like our statement better. But there's, there's some great things in that also, that, that baptism going under the water is a picture of clean, cleanliness. It's a picture of making the outside clean. It's a purging of sin. 
So that's two core beliefs of, of major churches around. So what is baptism? Break it all down. What is baptism? Baptism is just a sign. Just like this jar right here is a sign of mine and my wife's relationship. Just like this, this wedding ring that we have on, that I have on, is a sign of mine and her covenant relationship together. If I take this off and set it here, am I still married? So it's just a sign. The baptism is a sign. So here's, here's four, four truths that I want us to see just briefly. Baptism, Jesus always wins. And we see that in these ways. Baptism publicly declares my relationship with Jesus. Baptism is your first mission trip. Baptism publicly identifies me with the family of God. That means once you're baptized, you are a part of this ohana. You are, you are publicly declaring that you want to be a part of the, his church. Baptism publicly introduces Jesus to those that don't know him. Like I said, this is your first missionary journey. It's always good because I like it because we don't baptize here. We could baptize here, but we like to go out into the city. We like to go to the, the beaches, Onikaha Kaha if we have to, but usually we try to stay at a coconut island or we, I'm at a... Um, the other one, Carl Smith, the other one. I, I got Onikaha's going through my head right now. So it's our first mission trip. And lastly, baptism declares that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. So that's the core of what baptism is. But I want us to look at truths from today about Jesus' baptism and how we can relate that to our life. Because if I just tell you about baptism, there's something special about Jesus' baptism. There's something special about Jesus' baptism in this passage, and if I don't stay true to it, I, I neglect you. I neglect our congregation without revealing these truths to you. Number one, it's up on the screen. It launched his public ministry. Like I said before, baptism is our first mission trip. And when Jesus was baptized, he came out of the wilderness. He came out of the desolate land of Nazareth to come forth and be baptized. Most scholars believe this is when he was 30 years old. I like the Gospel of Mark because it starts right off the bat right here. Some of the other Gospels deal with his life growing up, but the Gospel of Mark just deal, starts here. Boom, the start of ministry is where I'm going to start. And baptism was the first part. The first thing we see Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, he's getting baptized. So as believers, what we should take away from that is our first step of faith after regeneration, once new life has happened into our lives, our first step should always be baptism. Our first step out of salvation is baptism. So there's a quote that says this, Is it possible for unbaptized believers to be saved? Yes, of course it is. So, baptism does not save you. Should every, should every believer be baptized? Yes, of course, because it's the overflow of salvation. So baptism doesn't save you. This ring doesn't, if I put a ring on, it doesn't make I'm married. But it's the first step after we say our vows that we put rings on. Because it's a sign, it's a seal Number two, it identified him with sinful humanity. This one gets me jacked up. 
Because Jesus never sinned, so why would he need to show repentance in baptism? Jesus never sinned. So why? Because it identified him with sinful humanity. See, when Jesus came down, he came down to be like, be with us. He always aligned himself with those he intended to save. Because think about it, as we know throughout the Gospels, we'll get here later, but as we, we know from Jesus' life, who did Jesus hang around? Who was those guys? Was it the religious elite? Is the tax collectors, the fishermen, the prostitutes? I heard in the back, yeah. It was those people. He aligned himself with those he intended to save. So his first step was to identify with sinful humanity. That's some good stuff right there. He, doesn't, he does not see himself apart from our sin. As the first step of his ministry, Jesus does not see, see himself apart from our sin. He knew the end game of his life. He knew that he was going to die for, to be a propitiation for us. This is how John Piper said it. I like this quote. When Jesus was baptized along with, the, uh, along with all the repenting people who wanted to be on God's side, it was as though the commander-in-chief had come to the front lines, fastened his bayonet, strapped on his helmet, and jumped into the trench along with the rest of us. And when he did that, the Father in heaven, who had sent him for this very combat, signified with the appearance of a dove that the Holy Spirit would be with him in the battles to come. Is that not great? Like, that is some great stuff. Hebrews 4 says this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He came, he was baptized to, to be like us. He wanted to identify with us. Thirdly, it connected him with John's ministry. Verse 7 says this, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That was from last week. John was rugged. He was a rugged guy. Man, like, I, I know I got a beard, but I wish I had John the Baptist beard. Like, I feel like it would be this great... He ate locusts and honey for a living. Like, how can you not have a, like a great beard? John the Baptist was a street preacher. Now listen to me here. I want, I want this to be clear. Because when, who do you think of when you think of street preachers? The guy down here at the park, yeah? That's who I thought of too. But there's some great stuff. Because he's a lot like John the Baptist. He wants repentance, but there's offer, he offers no hope. He, he wants repentance. Yes, we believe a lot of the things he does. But that's not how Jesus taught him. Jesus always taught with love and grace and hope. There's, let's help you through this. Not No, just stop. Stop what you're doing. So John the Baptist was a lot of that. But John the Baptist didn't know the person that was going to come be after him. 
He just knew there was somebody. There was going to be somebody with that hope of glory. John was the same way, but he didn't, he didn't fully understand the hope of Christ. I also want us to look at, and this talks about the Old Testament some, at the end of the Old Testament, if we understand history, there's a 400-year gap between when the last prophet and John the Baptist. 400 years, God was silent. This, this was a major life impact for the Jewish people. 400 years, God didn't say a word. And then he sent this crazy man that ate locusts out into the wilderness, baptizing in the name of repentance. Think about that. He sent this crazy guy out there. So Jesus had to identify with John. Because the next time he spoke, it was when Jesus was baptized. The, for 400 years, God was silent. 400 years, God was silent. And then Jesus was baptized by this crazy guy. And God tore open the heavens and said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So it connected him with John's ministry. John prophesied that Jesus was coming. He just didn't know who Jesus was. This is the last one, number four. It declared the type of Messiah he would be. It declared the type of Messiah he would be. There has been many false messiahs. Wait a second. Look at this picture right here. Look at this picture. Who is that? That is LeBron. You know when that picture was taken? I don't know if you can see the fine print on there. This is February 2002. He was a junior in high school when this picture was taken. And he's called the chosen one. He was supposed to save a city from the lack of championships. He's a false messiah. People still worship him today. LA's all excited about him. So there's been all sorts of, we can have all these different types of messiahs in our own life. We can have messiahs in our own life that that he's more tangible than Jesus sometimes. So why can't I follow him instead of Jesus? But listen to this. Listen to this. It declared the type of Messiah he would be. This one would be different. Jesus would be different from all the others. And this is where the prophecy takes place. So this is where I'm talking Old Testament now. Verse 11. Let's look at that again. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. We can easily just grasp over that, mess, that, that statement. But when we break it down, we see, some, we see some great truths in that. You are my son comes from Psalms 2-7. You know what that is? That's talking about the Messiah King, the one greater than David that was going to come. So you are my son comes from David. My beloved son? Who else was beloved in the Old Testament? Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. When I, Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. Take your, one, your son, your one and only son, your beloved son, and sacrifice him. And then we know that story. God stopped him. God stopped from that happening. 
And then thirdly, we see, I take delight in you. Isaiah 42.1. That is the passage of the suffering, suffering servant. That is when Isaiah promise, prophesied that there was, God was going to be pleased to crush this guy. We don't know who he is or when he's coming, but God's going to be pleased by crushing a great high priest. So when God opened up the heavens and spoke in that language, he said, this is my son. This is my one and only son. This is the son that was supposed to be Isaac, but it's not. This is the son that, that's going to prophesy the Messiah King, the one that combines the throne room and the priesthood. He is the one that's going to be the suffering servant. He's going to come and die for you, but he's going to come back for you. So when God opened up the heavens, he prophesied the redemption of mankind. And lastly, just a small part, Jesus' baptism brings unity. Think about this. It brings unity and not division. You see the Trinity working together. The Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending, and Jesus being baptized. So that's our second point. The Trinity is our second point. We see this at work. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the more debated doctrines of Christian religion is the Trinity. Because it's one that's so hard to understand. Listen, guys, I'm not going to have you understand the Trinity when you walk out of here. It's one of the mysteries of the gospel that we cannot fully understand. But here's the great truth behind it. God is good. God is good, and he understands the Trinity, so I can have faith in God. So, what is the Trinity? <laughs> We're going to take a stab at it, and we'll go from there. This is what our statement of belief says. And if you ever want to see what Ohana Church believes... It's all on our website. It's all in our Next Steps class. So if you ever have questions, go there. This is where I, this is where I got this statement from. <clears throat> we believe there is one living and true God who is without division in nature, essence, or being, but who eternally exists in three persons. These three persons are equal in every divine perfection and they execute distinct but har harmonious offices and roles in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. Here's a quote I found, and this is, this is how I kind of understand the, uh, the Trinity. Like, this is the closest way I can wrap my head around it. Um, but, just to be clear, all analogies of the Trinity fall short in some way. They never can reveal the trueness or the nature of the Trinity in its fullest aspect. So think about that. So when we think about the Trinity, we're never whatever analogy we use, whether it's the pretzel with the three holes or anything like that. Whatever analogy we use, it's going to fall short of truth. So we can't believe it as truth. So this is what Jim McClarty says. I like to use the words being and person. The God of Israel is one being. He is the only being who can be rightly called God. He is the being who created all things, but the being of God is three persons. And there is no contradiction. For instance, you and I are both human beings, 
but we are not the same person. We are both part of the body of Christ, the church, but we are different individuals within in the body. That's kind of how I got to see the view of the Trinity. If not, my brain goes crazy. That's how I got to look at it. Deuteronomy 6, and to reference what he said, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and, without, and thou shalt love thy Lord, thy God, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The Lord is a one, but we see him in our passage today in three distinct persons. We see God tear open the heavens, the Holy Spirit descending, and Jesus being baptized. So a quick summary of the Trinity. One, God is three persons. Two, each person is fully God. Three, there is only one God. Stick to those and you'll be all right. Here's biblical truth. If we simplify one of these parts, we deny biblical teaching. So if we simplify that in any way, we deny some part of Scripture. And at, at Ohana Church, we believe fully that this is God's Word. Amen? This is fully God's Word. So we cannot take one part less than the other. So if we deny one of those things or simplify it, we deny Scripture. Which leads us into the second point. The importance of the Trinity. Why is, it, why is the Trinity important? Why, why can't we simplify it? Because it's a matter of eternity. Salvation is at the core of the Trinity. Salvation is, is perceived through the Trinity. Wayne Grudem says this, from our Christian beliefs book. If Jesus is both if if Jesus is not both fully God and a separate person from God, then he would not have borne the complete wrath of God, died and risen from the dead. What does that mean? Jesus died because of God's wrath on him. So if there's only one God and not a trinitarian God, there would no longer be a God if Jesus died and he was the one true God. Jesus couldn't have poured his wrath out on himself. This is why the Trinity matters. Listen to this. This is a long verse, but it's so good. So good. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. <clears throat> Blessed be the Father, God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen for the Trinity in this, Okay who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, God the Father, he, right there, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So we see God the Father predestined us as sons through the adoption of Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved. Where did the beloved come from? The story of Abraham and Isaac. The sacrificial lamb. 
In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who, inherit, who, who were in the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. All right, here we go, here we go. In him you, were, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were signed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we see all three. I know that's a long passage, but that should make you scream right there. We were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who has guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Trinitarian God is at work in different parts of salvation, but that's why the Trinitarian God matters. It's not just one, one aspect of it. And lastly, we see the acceptance from the other parts of the Trinity. Verses 10 and 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being tore open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You see, Jesus' relate, Jesus acceptance was proven here by the Trinitarian God. Jesus' acceptance of what he was going to do was accepted here by the Trinitarian God. But see, our acceptance, our acceptance as individuals is not based on what we do. It's based on what God did. But many of us like to base our acceptance on what we do. We like to work for God. And if we don't work for God, we feel like we've got to start back all over. I got these. Now, what was this wedding ring a symbol of? It was the beginning. It was the sign of Jesus's, or the baptism. It was a sign of what Jesus did upon us. See, Jesus' acceptance was based on the Trinitarian God. So sometimes we find acceptance by what we do, the outer works. Y'all all think I was crazy if I started doing this. Every time me and Sarah got in a fight or had, we went through depression, I, I'm going to be honest. Can we be transparent here this morning? Both of us went through severe depression when we moved here. Both of us. It hurt our marriage. It hurt our relationship with others. Ask the people that was around us. We went through some depression right after we got married. We moved here before our first wedding anniversary. Praise God, God has brought us out of that. Praise God. But every time, if me and her fight, it's like, and we try to work it out, it's like going back and trying to put another wedding ring on. 
And you go up to people and say, are you married? And you said, yeah, look at all these wedding rings. Because we find acceptance in what we do and not the relationship we're in. So like, we, we go to God and be like, oh, I need to be rebaptized because I've lost acceptance with you. But you see what, and then we get rebaptized and it's just like putting extra rings upon our finger. But that's not what God wants. God doesn't, wa- doesn't need our acceptance there. God wants you personally. Listen to me here. I know the band's coming up. I know the band's going up, coming up. But listen, our acceptance is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what Christ did. And as we look at the end of Christ's life, as we look upon the end of Christ's life, that's where we find acceptance. That's what starts our ministry is our baptism and the representation of Jesus dying upon the cross, being buried, and raising again from the dead. That's where we find acceptance. So at the end of our lives, look, listen to me. This is, this is good stuff because we try to find acceptance in what we do. I tried to find acceptance by God by coming here and planting this church. Let's be real. I'm being transparent today, okay? I tried to find acceptance by the works I did for God and not my relationship with God. I liked putting more rings on my finger. It might have not been baptism, but it was works. I went on mission trips. I've been to Africa and fed people that's only, that only eats twice a week. I like those works. Those are easy to find acceptance. But listen to me. Listen to me before we lose it. At the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7.55, it says this. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, of Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Listen to me. Listen to me this morning. Our end goal shouldn't be trying to find acceptance at the beginning of our ministry. Our goal is to know Christ, and the overflow of that is going to be acceptance at the end of the ministry. The more you know Christ, the more you'll do for Christ. The more you know Christ, the better you know Christ, the more that overflow is going to happen. You see, Stephen didn't didn't do anything. He got stoned because he was a Christian. But at the end of his life, he said, he looked up into heaven. Since the baptism of Jesus, the first time we see heaven's open, and Jesus standing there in approval. We shouldn't want the approval that Jesus got at the baptism. We should want Stephen's approval at the end of our life. Matthew, the parable in Matthew says this, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end of my life, I want to go to heaven and say, hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not because of the works I did, it's because the works I worked through you. Because you wanted to know me, You wanted your spirit to empower me? Not find acceptance in what I did, but who I know? Because the last thing I want to hear, the last thing I want to hear for each and every one of you is what he says in Revelations. Revelations 3. Because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What a heartbreaking thing. If we get to the end of our life and all we've done is look for acceptance in things we've done instead of what Jesus did upon the cross. What a heartbreaking May none of us be that. May none of us be that. 
here's how, here's how I want us to respond today. I'm going to have Zeke and Connie come up to the front. We're going to respond because we need to repent. Some of us need a new heart. Some of us need a new heart. We don't even understand the initial part of baptism. So we need to have a new heart placed inside of us. We need to understand that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is all that really matters in our life. And secondly, some of us need to repent because we need a restored heart. We once knew that love. We once understand the gospel. But we, and today, we feel like we need to be rebaptized. But understand that that's not the process. I don't put another baptism ring on my finger. I work it out with God. Because at the end of the day, it's not starting over. It's finishing well. And lastly, we need a heart that's, that's no longer man-focused, but God-focused. And we're all guilty of that, myself included. I, I'm a people pleaser by nature. I want to please my wife. I want to please my son. I want to please my co-workers, my bosses, the people under me. I want to be that guy that everybody likes. But I shouldn't find acceptance in that. I like, I like when Zeke approves of me as my mentor and pastor. But I shouldn't find my acceptance in that. I should only find my acceptance in the blood blot, blood of Christ. And secondly, so first off, we need to repent. Secondly, we, we get to worship. Out of this, we're going to worship, yeah? Worship, listen to this. Truth always points us to worship. Good doctrine always points us to love to Christ. So we're going to worship after this.